Hey there, it's Paula Ferris, and this is Journeys of Faith, where we talk to people about how faith guided them through the best and worst of times. My guest this week is Sam Harris. He's a philosopher, he's got a PhD in neuroscience, and he's an atheist. That's right, Sam's journey is all about the absence of faith. The reason why atheists get impatient is because we are living in a world where people are dying essentially over rival interpretations of literature. Now, as you may know, I'm a Christian and my faith is incredibly important to me. But one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is to challenge myself and hopefully you. Let's learn from the journeys and experiences of others. And Sam has had quite the journey. I took psychedelic drugs. We, you know, was probably starting when I was 18. The first one was MDMA that really had a profound effect on me. On this episode, Sam Harris talks secularism and, you guessed it, psychedelics. So, Sam, a lot of people are going to be surprised when they learn that I'm having one of the preeminent atheists on this podcast. It is a faith podcast, but it's a podcast on our personal faith journeys, and there are no two journeys that are alike. So, Sam Harris, thank you for appearing on the podcast. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure. So you've debated the likes of Jordan Peterson. I listened to a little bit about of that debate and watched a little bit. And Ben Shapiro. You are referred to as one of the four horsemen of atheism. You are a neuroscientist, a philosopher, a critic of religion, basically the smartest guy in the room. Am I right? Yeah, the, the, the Antichrist. <laughs> the Antichrist. I forgot about that. Um, I am I am none of those things, including the Antichrist. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a neuroscientist. But most of what I want to talk to you about today, the impetus, it's going to come from uh, as a journalist. I am going to inquire. It's going to be inquisition and not accusation. And I do mm. like to challenge the norms. So that's why I'm having you on the show. And uh, so my first question for you, uh, do you believe that atheism is a faith system? Uh, No, I don't. I I think it's a um, it's often cast as that by people of faith. But this is just a a kind of play on words. Uh, You know, this is where I I think the, the bright line between what I'm recommending and what most people are doing can be found is that there's a distinction, I think, that. Virtually everyone, whether they have a faith or not, will recognize, which is that between holding beliefs for good reasons mm-hmm. and holding them for bad reasons. And this is a, a distinction that we readily make in every area of our lives. We're encouraged to do so uh, by other people. We're, uh, we're forced to do so by our collisions with reality. So, you know, if, if a bridge falls down, and uh, we want to know why so many people died based on something we built uh, to keep them safe. Uh, we look for good answers, and when people don't make sense, you know, or or they purport to to uh, know things that they clearly don't know, or for reasons that don't uh, don't uh, pass pass the normal tests of justification. Uh, we stop listening to them. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we we put pressure on one another and ourselves to make sense uh, and to have co- coherent arguments, to pay attention to empirical data, and to, to make honest observations about how we come to know what we think we know. 
And we, we, we've gotten very good at this. And we, we've, we've gotten best at it in science. Uh, we're, we're noticeably worse at it in other areas of our lives. We're worse in journalism than we, than we are in science, frankly. Uh, we're worse still in politics. Uh, and we are terrible at it in religion, reliably so, dogmatically so. In fact, religion is the only language game where the word dogma is a good word, right? Not a bad one, you know, as it is in Catholicism. And in dogma, is th- those are the yeah. principles. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what dogmatism is, is to believe something strongly, not only on bad evidence, not only without evidence, but very often in defiance of mountains of evidence, right? And so this is, this is, what, some, this is what a critic of religion like myself uh, is criticizing, this, this double standard in, in, with respect to how we judge the validity of ideas. So it's, it's not to say that atheism is a faith just just gets the, the the logic wrong at the outset. I mean, you, you don't have to embrace a rival faith not to be a Scientologist or not to be an astrologer or not to not to worship Zeus, mm-hmm. right? And and so the so the move that the atheist makes with respect to the God of Abraham or with respect to a claim like the Bible was dictated by the Creator of the universe or the Quran or the Quran was. Um, it's the same move that that every Christian makes with respect to Islam or Zeus or or, or any or thousands of dead gods who have been cons- consigned to this scrap heap we call mythology, which they used to be worshipped, right? I mean, people believed they exist, they existed. So that's that's the situation. So it's just not it's not a it's not the same game. It's it's just a and it's and it, it's also not a a pretend a pretension to know that God doesn't exist. It's not like it's not that uh, an atheist believes he has proven the absence of Yahweh, uh, no more so than he's proven the absence of Zeus. I mean, this is that that's not something we can do. It's just that it's just the issue is there's no good reason to believe in Zeus. It's not a claim that we know God doesn't exist. It's a claim that the evidence put forward, the reasons for for belief put forward are insufficient, right? So you're not persuaded in the same way that, I got it. that makes sense. if you're a Christian, you're not persuaded by, by what the Muslims are up to, right? The mm-hmm. Muslims are telling you every day of your life that you're wrong not to believe that the Quran is the perfect word of the creator of the universe. And not, not only that you're wrong, that you'll be going to hell for your unbelief, right? You've got the wrong religion. And, you know, I would point out to you that I think you're you know, you know, we don't know each other, but I, I'm I'm confident that you're not losing much sleep over the prospect that the Muslims are actually right about that. Uh, now, I stand in exactly the same relationship to Islam that you do. I just also stand in the same relationship to Christianity uh, mm-hmm. there, and, and and there's no further move required. You just haven't been convinced by the language game of Islam, and you, you know, if you've read the Quran, you haven't been convinced that. The claims it makes about itself uh, are plausible, and that's that's just all you need to be. That's all you need to do to be an atheist with respect to any other religion. Okay, that that makes sense. I want to go back to your answer when I asked you, "Do you consider atheism to be a faith system?" and and you said no, but but I, I still feel like you have to have faith. You still have, you still do believe in something. So how is it not a faith <clears throat> system? Because you believe that the evidence is not sufficient. That's still a belief system, is it not? 
Well, so so belief is a, just a larger operation than 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 faith. I mean, so this is you know I, I use the word belief in a way that is you know very common among academics and in particular philosophers, uh, perhaps not so common uh, colloquially. So so you know there is no distinction between belief and knowledge. You know, if I say it's um, you know it's uh, 85 degrees in Los Angeles right now, you know, that, that, uh, gets past your sensors. If I said it was a thousand degrees here, you would think, okay, well that, that doesn't make, that doesn't square with what you <laughs> know about the, the nature of you know, terrestrial reality. Uh, you know, this, you know, I'm, I must've misspoke. I must be confused about the, the metric system. I mean, so, something is wrong. Or I would uh, just think you're a gross exaggerator. Yeah. That could be it so, too. Right, so so there's there's some so but we we do this all the time, and we we tend to only notice the glitches, uh, but we're constantly representing uh, reality in our thoughts mm-hmm. and in our in our utterances, and in our books, and we have some old books, right, and 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 some of these books have been canonized as special books that could not have possibly been written by human beings, right? Now this is the this is the founding error from my point of view, and this is why. This is why you don't have to believe anything about God, really, or, or claim to know anything about uh, uh, you know invisible beings anywhere or the, the, the origin of the universe to dismiss uh, Abrahamic religion, because all you have to do is, is deal with the claims about the books. And the books claim to be— The Quran and the uh, Bible, correct? Yeah. And, yeah, I know that. I, I, was, I just started reading your book, uh, The End of Faith. How do we know that our holy books are free from error? And that really is the crux of your argument, correct? Right. I'm simply saying that we should we should subject every human conversation, I mean, certainly when it really matters, to the same kinds of reasonable tests we hold ourselves in the year 2018. You know, and those tests have changed, right? So it's there's just there's no way you would read the Bible now if it were written by a modern person and form the opinion that this was the product of omniscience, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's just no way, right. right? It's just, and this is obvious. This should be obvious to everyone. And so that's a bug, not a feature, right? I mean, so we, we need to, we need to be in a position where we can edit these books, essentially. I mean, we, we have every, every Christian and Jew and Muslim has effectively edited these books by ignoring their bad parts, right? So you ignore the bad parts in, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And so that's a problem because it's it's all the word of God, right? There's no place in the Bible where God says, you know, I, I was just I was having a bad day there and you know let's you know, this but this think, passage has an expiration date. Right. I, I think a lot of it too and, and I like what you say the point is that most of what we currently hold sacred is not sacred for any reason other than it was thought sacred yesterday. We're not challenging, we're not holding it to the same uh the, to the same levels that we would anything else in our life. Um, as as for like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, I, I I I do believe that you know the Bible is the word of God, and I think a lot of it was just a snapshot of what was going on in history at that time. It can be it's a historical document. It's not necessarily um, it's not that it's not relevant for today, but it's just a snapshot. Just as you would fast forward, you know, ten thousand years from now, 
is just a snapshot of if you took a snapshot of what was happening today and, and how egregious things are happening, or how egregious ISIS is and what's going mm-hmm. on in, in Afghanistan and Syria. It's just a snapshot of history. But um, let's just rewind in terms of your childhood, how you were raised. You were raised by uh, a Quaker and a secular Jew. How how do you um, evolve to the point of where you are now? Were you raised in, in was it a religious home growing up or no? Uh, no, it was a, a totally secular home. And by that, I mean that there was just no consideration of God or or revelation or any of these questions we're talking about. It, it was not uh, an atheist home. There was no antipathy to religion. I, I just don't remember religion coming up at all. And I, I don't remember it coming up among my friends. I and mean, I'm sure some of them believed in God or their or their parents did, but it was a, it was just a kind of relentlessly secular culture where I grew up and, you know, large, largely a, a Jewish one. Uh, you know, I, I got to think you know, half the people I knew as a kid were Jews, something close to that. So it was not you know, representative of American society generally, but it was representative of the state of Judaism for the most part. I mean, Judaism, unlike Christianity and Islam, is a religion that is well on its way toward losing its superstition and otherworldliness. I mean, it's, it was, it's been that way for quite some time, but I mean, it's, it, it's not, it's the only religion where you can say, certainly the, the one of the only of the, the three major Western religions where you can say, you know, I, I don't believe, I don't believe in God. Uh, I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, but I, you know, my, my Judaism is very important to me, right? Like that's a, just, that's just a non sequitur if you're a Christian mm-hmm. or, or a Muslim, but you know, among Jews, it's very common. So I was, you know, you know, I was surrounded by people like that. So, so you grew up in a, in a, in a secular home um, for the most part. And how your particular journey, how do you land here where you are today? How do you grow to believe what it is that you believe right now? Yeah, well, there are really two sides to that. So I was, I was always very interested or, you know, always from the age of 13 or so, very interested in in religion and in quote spiritual experience and in, in, in existential questions, you know what what happens after death and uh, you know if nothing happens, you know what does that mean for how we live here? So I was I was entertaining those questions very early. Actually, my, my best friend died when I was thirteen, so that that kind mm-hmm. of jump started me as a as a philosopher essentially. Uh, so I, I was the, the questions. Around which every faith is is organized, were were questions that I, I was deeply interested in from a, a young age, uh, and once I became a, you know a teenager, I mean really you know seventeen eighteen, I, I began to to explore these things you know experientially. So I you know I, I took psychedelic drugs. We you know probably starting when I was eighteen, the first one was MDMA that really had a profound effect on me. Um, but what what the experiences with drugs ex- revealed was not that drugs were the answer, but that there was a, a landscape of mind that had been closed to me. It, it was it was possible to have a very different experience of the world than I had realized, and that and this is the kind of experience attested to in every religious tradition. It's, it's, it's possible to to feel rather like Jesus, right? You know, or it's, it's possible to feel like 
the saints and sages who had spent years in caves and hermitages and monasteries uh, praying or meditating. And, uh, you know, and so then when I, when I in, encountered this literature of, you know, the, the contemplative life and, and traditional spirituality, East and East and West, right? So, but you know, both in the in the Christian and Jewish and, and Muslim tradition, but also in Buddhism and and or the religion of India, that's you know, nominally and misleadingly called Hinduism in, in most of these conversations. Um, it's it spoke to me about the possibility of traversing this landscape you know, more systematically and by by methods other than than bombarding your brain with with uh, various illegal compounds. So, uh, you know, then I practiced meditation, uh, you know, rather a lot in my 20s. I spent, you know, something close to two years on silent meditation retreats. You know, it he, sounds painful, uh, I have to be honest. <laughs> but I know yeah, it's probably it, enlightening. I get well, it. Well, it's painful for very interesting reasons because it's, it's the only pain is a is really a product of your thoughts, right? I mean, you're just, you're left alone with your mind which is really always the case, but you're left without the usual resorts to distracting yourself from what it's like to be you. And and the, I mean the, the crucial piece here, and really the foundation for everything, not just religion, is the fact that we are conscious. We have this 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 confrontation with reality in each moment. We have experience, and we don't really understand it right we don't know why we're here we don't know what we are can we, we trust have... can we trust our experience though and i know that that's that is um one of the flaws some people will say with atheism is that is the way that humans experience existence is that really the only way to measure reality how can we trust our experience when we are random well we we can we know we can't trust our experience in any naive sense. I mean, we, we, there, there are certain things that are that we can't doubt, and there's there are certain things that we should doubt uh, and must doubt. And but the, I mean, the, this basic fact about us that we are conscious is something that I would argue we can't doubt. I mean, this is something I've said many times before. But but consciousness is the one thing in this universe that can't be an illusion, right? Because consciousness is just the fact that there's something that is like to be you or just to be, I mean, whether or not there's, whether or not the self exists is is certainly open to doubt. But the fact that something seems to be happening, the fact that the lights are on in this moment, Mm -hmm. you know, in and as whatever it is you are, right, as a conscious being, that can't be doubted. And that's, that would be true even if, you know, we're running on a simulation as a simulation on some alien supercomputer or this is just a dream, or you're a brain in the in a vat, or I mean, you could be radically misled as to what's going on here. We could be in the matrix, right? But the fact that something seems to be happening, that's the fact of consciousness, and and that that really can't be doubted. This is an objective claim about the nature of reality. Consciousness is a is a natural property of this universe, whatever it is, and it's arising in and as us at this moment. But there are certain things we can't notice directly. And we, so we know our experience is a limited window onto the nature of things. Because, for instance, you can't even notice that you have a brain, much less that it's involved in but, but producing my, your mind. But my question is, if we're all so random, how can we trust anything? It's not that we're random, but, but, so, but this starting point, we, we don't know 
we don't know why anything is the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all we have is our experience in the present to work with. But the problem with religion here is that all it is based on, really, I mean, all of its doctrines are the result of being handed a book mm-hmm. by your parents and by their parents and by the parents before them, which claims to be unlike any other book, right? We don't do this with Shakespeare. We don't do this with, with Plato, right? We don't do this with, with, with contemporary but books that were contemporary to the Bible and the Quran, which were better than they were on many crucial points, maybe ethically, right? So it's like when you said that the Bible is just, you can sort of let the Bible off the hook by saying it's just a snapshot of human history at that no, point. No, I, I, right? don't, so, I don't think you let it off the hook, but I think you have to contextualize where we were historically at that time. I don't believe in the posturing of women, but, you know, the New Testament, you know, talks about women, you know, can't be elders in the church. I don't, I don't believe mm-hmm. that. I just think it was a snapshot of what the culture was going through at that particular time. Yes, I do think that there are some things that we hold to be so true that we're not going to deviate from, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, you know, and love one another. Um, but I, I also think we have to take things, um, we have to interpret the time and interpret the context of the situation and what was happening at that particular moment. Yeah, but the, the reason why I say you're letting it off the hook is that, one, not everyone was stuck in in just that place even back then, right? So it was possible in the 5th century BC to be quite a bit wiser and more ethical than anything you find in the Old Testament, right? I mean, so, you mm-hmm. know, the Buddha was doing it, right? right. It, impeccably, right? There was no, the Buddha was not advocating slavery, right? And uh, many Greek philosophers were doing it, you know, so th- there's there's more wisdom to be found in human literature than you can find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy by people who were alive at the same time, right? Or, or thereabouts. Right. Uh, and, and it's certainly true. I mean, just take the Quran, right? And that, now you got, you add a thousand years to the human conversation. And, you know, the, the genius who wrote the Quran is still stuck with slavery, right? Uh, it was possible to, to realize that slavery was abhorrent in, in 700 AD. Um, so it's just possible to come out with, with different answers here. And, and, and what, what I'm recommending and what we naturally do on every other question of confidence of, of consequence is just have a, just privilege a modern fact-based conversation over an ancient one. I mean, given, given that all we have so you don't to, think that to navigate you could, by, you don't think you could hold either the Quran or the Bible up to to science, to anthropology, to philosophy, to psychology, you don't think it would stand if you if you held it up to those. Which I'm well, and I'm well, sure parts you have. of it. Well, yeah, parts of it do, but and and so there's no reason to ignore the good parts, right? Again, so the golden rule there's there's very little to improve upon there, and and it's important to recognize it's not unique to Christianity. Right. It's, it's actually also in the Old Testament. But it's you know, and it's it's in Greek philosophy in various forms, and it's um, it's in Eastern philosophy in various forms. So it's but, but it's it's very well put in in the Bible, and um, so there are many things. If you, if you go, if you do what you know, essentially Jefferson did to the Bible, and just you just go through and highlight the the words of Jesus, and then especially highlight the ones that that uh, are are actually. You know, durably wise mm-hmm. and not just weird, um, 
you know, there, there's no reason not to do that, but we can, and we do do that with every other product of the ancient world that we love and continue to find useful. I, and we I, do it with Plato and we do it with, with uh, Aristotle and we yep. do it with, um, uh, with, with literature. I mean, so sure. this is the thing about like, I mean, the, to, to take the, just to give you a snapshot of the quote atheist perspective here, the reason why atheists get impatient it's because we are living in a world where people are dying essentially over rival interpretations of literature. And right? There's so it's, no, there's it's like, no disputing like it's, that. There's the greatest wars are have always been over religion. Well, well, not all of them, but yeah, but but many of them. So you I mean you mentioned ISIS, and I mean like that. That is uh, ISIS is a is is a pure product of religious dogmatism. I mean this is this is what. Uh, People rec recruited to ISIS uh, were motivated for, based on a, an interpretation of Islam that is all too plausible, you know. And when they took sex slaves and raped them, they did it and continue to do it, uh, I'm sure, somewhere, uh, as a sacrament, right? This is not just bad people who would do bad things anyway. Well, These think, are but there normal are also, people. There are always radicals of every religion that are going to take it to the nth degree that are misinterpreting and misconstruing. Well, but, 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 but they're not. They're only misinterpreting these doctrines by the light of modern insights and modern norms, right? It's, it's just you're not misinterpreting Leviticus uh, or Deuteronomy if you focus on the bad parts and say, "Hey, wait a minute." God said that working on the Sabbath is a killing offense. I see what my neighbor's doing over there, right? He's mowing his lawn. Why shouldn't I just go kill him? If I actually believe the word of God, I mean, here you have to be an ultra-Orthodox Jew to take this path, because I know mm -hmm. Christians have a reason why they you know, don't have to do this. But, but there is no good argument against this. The, the argument is but I, a but loss I of, of, of conviction. You right? could, but, that, but you could also say that, that later, I, I mean, the, the Bible does evolve from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And even if not, you're just, not if you're a but, Jew, but I'm saying not if you're a Jew, but then you do have the Ten Commandments and that commandment is the ten, honor the, the, the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath yeah. and keep it holy in that commandment. It doesn't say honor the Sabbath and murder your neighbor if he's mowing the lawn on the Sabbath. And that's well, no, why. It's, but, but it's implied. It's implied. I mean, it's it, the Ten Commandments are are not New Testament. They're Old Testament. Right. And. Moses. They are, 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 they're, they're spoken mm -hmm. in a context where these are these are killing offenses, mm -hmm. right? This is this is not you know talking back to your parents is a killing offense, right? Uh, certainly, uh, worshiping uh, any foreign god is a killing offense, and right. so these are not. Uh, so you, you say you, you someone can always take a doctrine to the nth degree or or pervert it or misunderstand it, but. The problem with these books is that a an all too plausible, honest, direct reading of them leads you to be a religious maniac. Right, but yeah, the but word, the, but, but, it's, but it's is, historical. It's a his, still well, a historical snapshot. Yeah, but its 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 value is that we have what we have here is an all seeing, and all knowing, and all loving uh, God. Who can give us guidance? What's on offer here, it's imagined, is some direction, right? What you need to believe about your circumstance and what you need to do so as to live the best life possible. And after you die, 
not go to hellfire for eternity, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you believe these particular faiths. So whether you're a Christian or a, or a Muslim, you believe you have a book that offers guidance, the significance of which is for all time, right? It's beyond this life. And we still it's believe just, it's it, the living, breathing word of God. And Jews when and you think, yes, and when you when you think about the how good a book could be if it were writ, really written by an omniscient being, how wise it could be, right? That none of these books meet that test. I mean, the fact that you and I could improve the Bible with thirty seconds thought is a problem for the claim that this book was okay. written by anything other than people. How could you improve right? it 30 seconds thought? You just make it clear that slavery is wrong, mm-hmm. right? And should be outgrown immediately, right? Slavery is an abomination. But, right? but don't all you, human beings are, are, are of equal value. Yeah, he said, it, it, he, in, well, it, in the New Testament, we see Paul declare that in Christ, we're all equal. He says well, that there's neither free nor slave, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile at that well, yeah, point. But he, but he also, but he, no, but there's no clear repudiation of slavery in the New Testament. In fact, he, he, he urges slaves to serve their masters well and to serve their Christian masters especially well. But can you tell me... Because historical slavery in the Hebrew culture wasn't it more like indentured servitude? It's not like it wasn't like American or Egyptian slavery. So, just from a historical perspective, when we're talking about slavery in the Old Testament, slavery in the you know versus the New Testament, it's it's different than what we interpret to be slavery in the 21st century, is it not? Well, well, I I don't know. I've 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 certainly heard that claim. I mean, this is the sort of game you get into. Uh, rather often, when when so when you when you say the sorts of things I have said about you know challenging the the ethics uh, of the text, you get the 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 search for loopholes uh, on the part of the theologians. Uh, all of this is a way of not facing the crucial point. The crucial point is that we know we could come up with better Ten Commandments right now. You and me, we don't even need what to... What would your we, Ten Commandments we, we, be, we Sam? We wouldn't need help, right? Well, you, just, you, can just tweak the, you can just tweak the ones that are there and okay. improve it, right? Okay, so, so give me your Ten Commandments. I'm curious. Well, well so, so uh, you know, uh, abolish slavery, right, mm-hmm. or, or, or rule it out. Uh, to talk about the, the, the equal value of, of men and women, right, uh, morally and, and politically, right? Let's spell that out. Honesty, privilege, honesty as a fundamental value. Okay. And you, you don't, don't you know, stigmatize and demonize normal human sexuality to the degree that, it, you know, has been been the the religious norm in these faiths. I mean, so, so we, we look at all of the suffering in under Christianity and, and Islam in particular, Around taboos, around you know, out of wedlock birth mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, fornication, homosexuality, uh, masturbation, you know, all of it, right? There's like a whole Freudian uh, crisis uh, that is is uh, reliably uh, made uh, more painful. By religious notions of of the significance of, of human sexuality, I'm not I'm not saying human sexuality isn't a a very significant feature of our lives that it's easy to get confused about and to, and to to problematize. So it's not it's not that religion is the only thing that screws this up, but 
religion has not helped human sexuality, right? I mean, there's just the big picture here. We want societies where it is as easy as possible for the maximum number of people to live good and fulfilling lives, right? Mm -hmm. To have families, to find this as, I mean, it's, it's, it's always hard to have kids, but to make it as, as easy and as fun and as fulfilling as possible, right? We want psychologically healthy, creative, happy people everywhere. That's the goal, right? So how best to do that? Well, is it, uh, is it best to tell people that homosexuality is a sin worthy of death? Is that a good piece of software to have running on our brains in the year 2018? Well, mm-hmm. no, right? Well, so then, then why think that a book that tells us that was written by the creator of the universe and can never be edited, right? I mean, that's, that's the problem. Right after this short break, I ask Sam whether he's ever doubted his atheism and what he did about it. I do think that you don't give God enough credit, at least when it comes to sexual sin. You look in the Old Testament, yes, women were stoned if they were adulterers. And then you Mm -hmm. look at what happens in the New Testament, uh, where Jesus met a woman at the well who'd been married four times. She was, quote unquote, living in sexual sin. And they wanted to stone her, and he said to those that were surrounding her, "He who is without sin, cast the first stone." So I mm-hmm. do think that you are, you do see an evolution of the way that um, that that particular situation is treated. So I, I understand what you're saying about not letting the Bible off the hook. I think that there are a lot of answers for it, but you know, I've come to my conclusions, <laughs> and and you've come to yours clearly. Um, and and I see what you, where you're where you're coming from on a lot of it, but yeah. Well, first first let me say that. I mean, Jesus in half his moods is fantastic, right? I mean, half know, of I'm his a, moods, I, yeah. I'm and then a big he's fan flipping tables. The parts. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, right. Well, even though I, I, I like the flipping tables part as well, right? But you know, I mean, some of the some of what Jesus said can get you uh, at least is in contact with some of the the worst. Uh, parts of Christianity, but much of what he said, I mean, the reason why he's celebrated as a figure is that much of what he said is beautiful and wise and necessary. Right? So and, what do you so, think about him? What do you think about Jesus? Well, so I, I think there is, I mean, I think he was one, I, I think, uh, well, I think what I'm saying now is not uh, especially controversial among, uh, you know, mainstream scholars of Christianity. I think he was a a Jew who never imagined starting another religion, right? He was a Jew among Jews telling people how he thought Judaism had to be practiced, right? He, so he was, he was a, a, a charismatic rabbi, essentially, who was gathering followers and telling them, you know, what was what. Mm-hmm. And, and, there's a, and there's too much, and the flip side, again, to come back to, you know, you letting these books off the hook, which is, <laughs> again, if, just think of how good the books could be. Uh, you know, a single page in there, you know, in the in, in in either Testament or in the Quran, that would would be so prescient with respect to humanity's needs, right? You know, and and sci- and coming scientific insights that it would prove that there's no way a, a a mere mortal of the time wrote the book. And there's a lot in the books that suggest that they were written by a person of the time who was convinced of the rightness of social norms, which we now recognize to be abhorrent. 
and that's that's where atheism comes from. But I would say I would I would venture to say too that I think you you it has to pass the sniff test. You you write on page seventeen of your your book, um, the end of faith. How is it that in this one area of our lives we've convinced ourselves that our beliefs about the world can float entirely free of reason and evidence? I agree with you. I think we have to hold it to the fire, and I think if we're not doing that then we need to question why we believe what what we do believe um in that same sense though i don't i don't think science answers ev- you not everything can be solved in a laboratory science doesn't answer every single question any trial i mean it's not just the dna evidence it's circumstantial evidence it's direct evidence it is science so i think science plays a part of it but if we're looking to science to explain every single thing if i asked scientifically why do you love your wife i mean there would be some scientific reasons but there's also direct evidence there's circumstantial evidence that we have to factor into the equation and so yes we have to challenge what we believe and why we believe and you know does it hold does it pass the sniff test what is the scientific proof but i think we have to take other factors into consideration at the same time am i totally off base well, you're just using science in a, in a more narrow sense than than in I a would, or than, than you need to. Well, it's just no. It's just that it's when when I talk about the opposition between religion and science, or between reason and faith, it's not the this narrow uh, sense of science that you know what can be immediately studied in a lab today by somebody wearing a white coat, right? So it's it's, it's more. I mean, the, the, let's talk about evidence and a fact-based discussion and good arguments and good data all i'm saying is that faith as a as a cognitive and emotional operation right um is on the wrong end of that spectrum i mean it, it is it is what it's like to believe something uh, because you want it to be true right and we have this notion of wishful thinking Right, or, of confirmation or, bias. Or is it just the evidence of things not seen? Is it just like Martin Luther King said, faith is taking that step when you can't see the rest of the staircase? It's just believing well, the well, evidence we, we of that. things unseen. Well, we, I mean, we do that, but there are, there are rational ways to do that and there are irrational ways. And so, I mean, it's just the the thing that it, that every atheist notices, notices very quickly about religion is that the kind of thing you hear very often hear from from a religious person is like this: when you if if you press hard on the the lack of evidence for let's say the the, the divine origin of the Bible mm-hmm. um, or the you know the truth of, of ancient miracles, um, uh, you get other answers like, well, you know, it's I believe because it it uh, improves my life so much. I mean, this is this is you know the, me. But my family and I draw so much meaning from the, the, this, these, the, these beliefs. Or the, is people say things like, you know, I, I wouldn't want to live in a universe where there wasn't a God, right? Now, if you translate, if you take God out of those statements, um, you, these, these become crazy statements. Do you believe that there's a – do you know that there's an inherent difference between right and wrong? Well, of course. But where does that – where does that – moral compass come from well it doesn't come from the bible because the bible tells you to keep slaves and no, stone I mean, non-believers to death i'm just curious no, no like, but no but like no but i mean what it's, is the it's, basis it's such morality? a strange but it's such a strange question because you're 
in order to pick and choose the good parts of the Bible, right? You, I mean, no, no one gets their morality from the Bible. I mean, it's like so. The so the implied in your question is, if you don't get this stuff from religion, where can you get it? Right. Well, you can't get it from religion because every religion is chock full of needless barbarism. And you have to edit these things by at, at, at minimum by ignoring the bad parts. So what is and the you basis? Do that, but what is the it, basis for morality? Well, so we have so we have what we're you know biologically disposed to find morally salient, right? So we have we're we're, we're social primates, and we we for for hundreds of thousands of years as people, and for millions of years as as primates, we have had to get along together. Uh, now, unfortunately, evolution has not prepared us to get along together with 7 billion strangers all interconnected with social media and many of us armed with nuclear and biological and chemical weapons, right? I mean, so we, we are, in our efforts to build a civilization that works, we are fitted to evolved capacities that just have not been designed to scale. So like, xenophobia and tribalism and uh, selfishness, uh, it, th- those are hardwired into us. But in, even in that circumstance, some basic moral properties are there. And actually the golden rule gets in very early. If, if I were to ask you, give me one word to describe your belief system, just one word, what would it be? Well, it's not a. It doesn't describe my belief system. It describes the, the, the how I would arrive at how I how I arrive at my belief system now and, and okay. in the future. Uh, I mean, not to sound sanctimonious, but it's honesty. I like it. It's an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Have Have you ever thought, Sam? This has been very thought provoking for me, and I want to thank you. Sure. But have you ever thought? What if I'm wrong about all of this? I've thought that. Have you ever entertained that thought? What if I'm wrong all about all of this? Oh, of course. But see, if if I'm wrong about any of it, uh, you know, I, I'm living in such a way as to maximize the, the likelihood that I will notice those errors and correct for them as quickly as possible. So I'm constantly putting myself in dialogue with people who disagree with me, who know more about certain things than I do. Um, I'm constantly debating people. I'm constantly reading books uh, that, that, that challenge my views or, or take me deeper in one direction or another. And the, I mean, it, it would be trivially easy. I mean, if any of these things were true, right. Again, it would be trivially easy to prove that they're true. You know, if, 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 Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, and you know, destined to come back and raise the living and the dead, or judge the living and the dead. Um, he, he need only do that, right? Come back and prove it. Then we'll all be Christians, right? Now it's that's it, strangely God has set up <laughs> the universe where you don't get to be a Christian at that point. That's when you get hurled into the lake of fire because you sort of need to place your bet before there's enough evidence. But uh, the truth is, it would be trivially easy to prove any of these things. Um, It's just, you know, I mean, a sufficient miracle would be, would do it. Again, it would be easy to find, if if the books were written by the creator of the universe, 
they would be better books. You know, they wouldn't, I mean, this is a, a quip you've probably hit in, in my book. You know, at some point I say it was, it was strange of God to make Shakespeare a better writer than himself, right? It's a problem that Shakespeare is, is a better writer than most of the authors of the Bible, right? It's not to say there aren't brilliant passages style, in the Bible. though, but I also think it's a totally different style. I mean, you're looking well, at... It is totally different, but but he's, you know, it, when you look at the wealth of, the, I mean, the, the the wealth of metaphor and the insight into human psychology, right? Uh, you know, there's a reason why Shakespeare is venerated to the degree that he is as a writer. And... Uh, or you could just uh, give God credit for creating someone with such incredible talent. Well, yes, well, he, if they he are created, made he, in he the cre- image of God, <laughs> and he and he created three hundred thousand species of beetles, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why we have to have mosquitoes. What is well, the point well, of a mosquito? Well, one day we might not. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's that's a uh, you know. Let's let's uh, we're waiting for science to figure that out. Uh, because God has uh, has not been helpful. My brother-in-law is a former atheist. He's a physician. And I he and I go back and forth because I have so many questions. And he said, if I could answer every single question, my God would be too small. You, I, He's like, I'd have just had to accept that there are some things I'm not going to be able to wrap my mind around. And if I did, then God wouldn't be God. God wouldn't sure. be who he is. Well, the, the, <laughs> the problem with that is that many people's faith is is quite a bit more explicit than that. It's not that it's all a big mystery and, and, and who, who am I to understand how this really works? It's, no, if you're unlucky enough to be born to the wrong parents and never hear the good word, you will go to hell, right? And, I, I don't believe and if that. It, and if a mosquito, I, well, I understand you don't want to believe that because it's, it's, it doesn't feel good. But in, you know, for, for the longest time, most Christians believe that. In fact, for, for, I think there are factions. I think there are some Christians that, that believe yes. that, but there are yeah. many that don't because you can't sure. reject something that you've never been exposed to. And if you've never been taught, you've never heard the name of Jesus, yeah. you never heard God. Yes, you can see him in creation. No, but for but you, you know, you're not Dante, rejecting. But yeah, you're not but rejecting God. Even if that, if you, if you don't believe that, you take someone like me. I've, I've had I've had a a a good long while. To consider the matter, right? And you know, I I appear fairly incorrigible, right? Here. So I, you know, I've I've read the Bible beyond reproach. I've read the and, and 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 I would say that you are in the same position. Uh, this is I can come back to where we started. You are in precisely this position with respect to Islam. You know, everything that the most doctrinaire Christian would say about me, the most doctrinaire Muslim would say about both of us, right? You you have had a chance. To recognize that Islam is the one true faith, right, and that, that the Quran is perfect. You, this has been this has been sufficiently advertised to you, and you have rejected this, and you're going to go to hell because of it, right? This is what most Muslims, who who really are Muslims, have to believe, because that is the doctrine. Now, you and I are going to end this podcast and go about our day. And not spend a minute worrying about that, right? Not a minute. Okay, that is exactly how I think everyone should feel about every one of these religions, including Christianity. 
and nothing important is lost. You can still have unconditional love as your highest ideal. Mm -hmm. You can still be in awe at the mystery of existence. You can still be interested in learning all that you can learn and realizing that there's a fundamental mystery at the back of everything. You can find it to be a corrective to all of the all the all of the sin you find in yourself, right? All of the all of the ways in which you miss the mark, all the ways in which you 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 can be a bad parent or a bad friend or a bad friend to yourself. I mean, all I'm arguing for is we use the best tools and the best conversations and the best ideas we have. And if some of those come from Christianity, great. If some of those come from Islam, great. But again, we don't have to be uh, attached to religious provincialism, you know, much less tribalism to, to, to value that. Right. This has been so enlightening and it's challenged me. I hope it has challenged, is going to challenge everyone else that, that listens to it. I think it's important to have these conversations outside of our own bubble and to, at the end of the day, we are all on our own journey to, to figure out why it is we believe what we believe. And yep. I just want to thank you for, for pushing me and challenging me. Well, it's been a pleasure. And- thank you, Sam. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. You've been a good sport. Thank you so uh-huh. much. Next week on Journeys of Faith. I was converted to Islam by Catholic priests. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's so wild. Say. We'll talk to religious scholar and Muslim Reza Aslan about the twists and turns that led him to where he is today. Thank you for listening to Journeys of Faith. If you like this, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and make sure to come back next Wednesday for our latest episode. And if you think there's someone that we should have on the podcast, let me know. Tweet me at Paula Ferris. And a big thanks to the team at ABC Radio. Susie Liu, Mike Dabusky, Lewis Millman, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kalb, and Steve Jones. I'll talk to you next week.